Our Heavenly Father, as we consider your word now, would you open our eyes to see Jesus for who he is and give us grace that we might respond rightly to him as Lord of our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in Australia, there's a, there's a TV game show that is called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I don't think you have it here in Malaysia, do you? No. Well, it's a trivia show. And basically, for each multiple choice question you get correct, the money that you stand to win multiplies and multiplies and multiplies until you reach $1 million. But if you get a question wrong, well, you lose everything. Now, while I was at uh, Bible college, uh, one of my Bible college lecturers managed to get onto the show. Uh, and he managed to get up to the $20,000 question. There's the question on the screen about Terry Pratchett's books. And you guessed it. He messed it up. He lost everything. The answer, by the way, is Discworld. Well done, you readers. Well, in our passage today, Jesus is going to ask of us the million-dollar question. It's an all-or-nothing question that is so important, it's not going to just determine whether you win a little bit of money or not. It's not a question that you'll get in your A-levels exams. It's not a question you'll get in your job interview. But it is the most important question that you will ever have to answer. It is a question from our passage this morning. Who is Jesus? Jesus is, of course, the most important person that has ever walked our earth. More people have claimed to follow Jesus than anyone else. The book written about him, the Bible, is the best-selling book in all history and it has topped the charts every year. The claims of Jesus are greater than the claims of any other man who has ever walked the face of this earth. But who is this man? Who is Jesus? People have all kinds of conceptions, maybe a legend that people made up, a misguided lunatic who did some crazy things, a good moral teacher, the Lord of the universe. Of course, we'll see this morning, it's not just, a, it's not just an intellectual question. Your answer to this question has radical implications for where you will spend eternity. And so my aim this morning is that we will recognize Jesus for who he is, the Lord of the universe, and that we will respond rightly to him by yielding and submitting our lives to his rule. Well, the question, who is Jesus, is the question that's laid behind this whole section of Luke's gospel from chapters 7 to 9. There's a few verses on the screen. Chapter 7, the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus. Are you the one who is to come, or do we look for another? Later, as Jesus forgave the sinful woman in chapter 7, the amazed crowd cried out, who is this? Who even forgives sins? In chapter 8, as Jesus calmed a raging storm with just a word, the response of his fear-filled disciples was this, chapter 8, verse 25, who then is this that he commands even the wind and the water and they obey him? And then finally, as Jesus healed a woman of chronic bleeding, as he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, drove out a legion of demons, fed 5,000 with a few loaves of bread, King Herod asked the question that was on everybody's lips, 
Who is this about whom I hear such things? And so in today's passage, we have three simple but profound questions to consider. Who is Jesus? What did Jesus come to do? How should we respond? Well, point one, who is Jesus? Would you look in your Bibles with me at verse 18? Luke chapter 9, verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? Now you notice before we get to the important question, who is Jesus, Luke uh, gives us the setting. He wants us to notice Jesus' private prayer life. And it's no accident, this is already the fourth time in Luke's gospel when he has mentioned Jesus' prayers. Chapter 3, verse 21 on the screen again. As he was getting baptized, he was praying. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 16, we're told, as his fame spread, Jesus would withdraw to the desolate places to pray, as he did last week after the disciples' mission. Chapter 6, verse 12, before choosing the 12 apostles, Jesus prayed. All night, in fact. As popular as Jesus' ministry was, Jesus took time to pray away from the crowds, away from the popularity, and especially at the turning points in his ministry. Isn't that interesting? Despite his busyness with ministry, Jesus made time to pray. And having prayed, he turns to his disciples and asks them this million-dollar question that was on everybody's minds. Who do the crowds say that I am? And the answer comes, verse 19. And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Uh, The crowds think he is a prophet, a, a messenger from God come to bring God's word to his people. Perhaps maybe John the Baptist, uh, the great forerunner of Jesus who came to prepare his way. Perhaps Elijah, the the great Old Testament prophet who, like Jesus, had fed uh, a multitude with bread, who'd raised a widow's son and was prophesied to come again before the great day of the Lord. Maybe another prophet. It's not an uncommon view of Jesus, is it? It's a view that is shared by many, even in our world today. Islam, of course, believes Jesus, well, he was just a prophet, not the Son of God, a messenger of God, yes, a prophet, yes, but only that. And others will speak of Jesus, well, as a, as a good moral teacher, someone who's come from God to, to teach us values from God, like loving one another. And whilst Jesus is a prophet, He is someone sent by God to bring God's word to his people. Their response is wholly inadequate. Jesus healed the sick. He raised the dead. He drove out demons. He calmed a storm just with a word. No prophet did those things. He was far superior to any prophet. And so he asked the question a second time, this time to his disciples, verse 20. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Uh, It's a very different question, isn't it? Uh, The first question is objective. It's about the people out there. This one is personal. What about you? 
There's a big difference, isn't it, if I asked you, what did Malaysians vote for in the last election? To, and, and to ask you, well, who did you vote for in the last election? That's confronting, isn't it? That's personal. And you probably won't want to tell me. Well, Jesus is showing here, isn't it, that he's, he's not interested with what our parents think about him or our friends or our spouse or our Bible study leader or our pastor. Jesus wanted his disciples and he wants us too to make our own personal evaluation of him. And so I wonder how you would answer Jesus' question. Who do you personally think Jesus is? Moral teacher? Good friend? Saviour? Source of blessing? Made up myth? Who is Jesus? Well, look how Peter answers the question, verse 20. Peter answered, the Christ of God. Now, if uh, Peter was in school, I think he would have got a, a gold star next to his name. Peter is exactly right. Jesus is the Christ. Now, Christ is not Jesus' family name. If you looked him up in your address book, it wouldn't be next to Chin and Chong and the rest. First name Jesus, last name Christ. No, Christ is his title. It's like Datuk or Putra. It means God's promised king. And uh, some of you will remember from Bible overview that God promised in 2 Samuel 7 that one of David's descendants would rule over an eternal kingdom and that person would be called the Son of God. We read of the same person in our Old Testament reading. There uh, God speaks to his anointed king and he promises on the screen, Psalm 2 verse 7, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You'll break them with a rod of iron, dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, the Christ would rule over all nations. He would smash his enemies like broken pottery. He would have absolute rule, eternal rule, universal rule. And Luke's gospel has already made it clear that Peter is absolutely spot on. Jesus is exactly that king. Uh, do you remember uh, as the angel Gabriel came to foretell Jesus' birth, what did he say of Jesus? Luke chapter 1. He said he will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus is the one spoken of. 2 Samuel 7. Psalm 2, at Jesus' birth, the angels declared to the shepherds this glorious news. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ, the Lord. Peter has got it right. He realises if Jesus can heal the sick, calm the storm, raise the dead, forgive sins just with a word, he must be God's Christ. He's absolute, eternal universal king. Having been rightly identified by Peter as the Christ, we come to our second question then. What did Jesus come to do? Now, did you notice Jesus' strange response to Peter in verse 21? And Jesus strictly charged 
and commanded them to tell this to no one. Uh, Jesus wants absolute silence about his identity. It's very strange, isn't it? Isn't the whole point of Jesus' ministry so far to make known who he is? Isn't that why he did all his miracles? Why now tell no one? Uh, in fact, this is not the first time that Jesus has made this command. Back in chapter 4, as the, as the demons cried out, I know who you are, the Holy One of God, he rebuked them, he silenced them. As they cried out, you are the Son of God, he wouldn't allow them to speak. Chapter 5, he cleansed the leper. And chapter 8, he raised Jairus' daughter. Both times he charged them, tell no one. The only person who he has allowed to speak so far was the Gentile man possessed by the legion of demons. To that man, God commanded, return home. Declare how much God has done for you. Now, why is it that Jesus wants to make sure there's no press conferences, there's no election campaigns, he's not going around looking for delegates to make sure and proclaim that he's going to be the next king, the next one? I mean, is Jesus rejecting the identification of Peter that he is the Christ? Well, the answer comes in verse 22. Verse 21, he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Uh, Jesus takes for himself here the most exalted title that he could find from the Old Testament Scriptures, the Son of Man. The Son of Man was the one promised in Daniel 7 who would rule over God's kingdom forever. Does, does Jesus believe that he is the Christ? Absolutely. Have a look at uh, Daniel chapter 7 on the screen. Like the, like the Christ, the Son of Man's dominion would be absolute. He'd be given uh, dominion and glory and a kingdom. His rule would be universal all peoples, all nations and languages would serve him and his kingdom would be everlasting. It, it wouldn't pass away. It wouldn't be destroyed. Uh, Jesus is absolutely certain. Peter is right. He is the Christ. But Jesus also wants his disciples to make sure that before it goes public that they understand what he's come to do to suffer, to die, to be killed. None of the disciples would have expected that. That's going to become very clear as we get to the end of this section of Luke's Gospel, verses 44 to 49, that they were expecting the Christ to be victorious, to overthrow the occupying Roman forces, to crush his enemies like pottery, not to be rejected, suffer, and die. The language, of course, alludes to Isaiah 53. Now, there we read of the suffering servant who would bear on himself all God's judgment on human sin. Why did Jesus come? He came to deal with the heart problem that lies at the center of our world. The Bible tells us 
Humanity is in deep-seated rebellion against God, our Creator. We fail to treat Him rightly. We fail to love our neighbor perfectly. We deserve God's judgment for our rebellion. Why did Christ come? He came on a rescue mission. He came to die. He came to take the punishment that we deserve for our sin, that we could be forgiven, washed, cleansed, restored to right relationship with God. Just think about it. It's great for Christ to be king, but without the cross, the kingdom would be empty. (laughs) He gave his life for us that we might enter his kingdom. Who is Jesus? The Christ. What did Jesus come to do? He came to save. And so the third question then, if Jesus is God's king come to save and to rule, What is our response? Verse 23. And he said to all, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now let's be clear on what Jesus is asking for here. Uh, If I denied myself ice cream, uh, that would be a very rare day, I must say. But I would be saying no to ice cream. Denying is to say no. But Jesus is not talking about giving up something for Lent, like giving up ice cream or giving up chocolate. Jesus is talking about denying self, saying no to self-rule, self-government. He's saying, if I am Lord, then you cannot be. You, You can't come to Jesus and say to him, in other words, yeah, I'll come to church on Sunday, I might come to Bible study if I've got free time and I feel like it, but the rest of my life is mine. I'll give you 20%. How's that? I've heard parents express this exact sentiment to their children. They, they say, stop making Jesus everything, you know. Go to church on Sunday, but the, the rest of the week is yours. Invest in your work. Spend time with your family. Stop being so extreme. Jesus says, no, if he is the Christ, if he is God's absolute, universal, eternal ruler, he claims 100%. Our time, our money, our priorities, they're all to be directed for his ends and his glory. Now, with that teaser, I hope we will all be at Smago (laughs) to think about what that kind of selfless life is looks like. But secondly, we must take up our cross daily. Now, again, he's not talking about uh, putting up with all the aches and pains of life or a difficult relative that we have in our family that we have to see uh, once or twice a year. Uh, You've probably heard people say, we've all got to carry our crosses in life and they mean you've just got to push through with the difficult exam or the, the trouble that you have with your boss at work. That's not what he's talking about here. When do you take up your cross? You carry your cross when you're going to your crucifixion. Now, the cross was the Romans' brutal instrument of execution. And if you saw someone carrying a cross, they were only going one place, to their death. Jesus is saying, in effect, 
count yourself dead. Give up your self-rule. Come and die. Now, he's obviously not talking literally about death. He says you have to take up your cross daily, and it's pretty obvious death is only something that you can do once. You can't do that every day. What he means, though, is I need to every day continually deny my self-rule, say no to self, put to death self, day after day after day after day. And this kind of self-denying, cross-carrying life is a, is a life that will result in exactly the same shame and rejection and suffering and difficulty which Jesus himself suffered. We need to forget about that false teaching that is so prevalent in our world and in this city that if you believe in Jesus, you're going to be blessed abundantly, happy, successful, comfortable, victorious. The cross was not pleasant or comfortable for Jesus Christ. Think about the disciples. I mean, where are they going to follow Jesus to? They're following Jesus to Jerusalem where he's going to be crucified on a cross. And what's going to happen to the disciples as we go to the book of Acts? Well, it will tell us they will be persecuted, imprisoned, and many of them were killed as well. Finally, we're called follow Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? I take it it means to live like Jesus, to follow and submit to his rule, to take his path of suffering on the way to glory. Notice who Jesus is speaking to here, verse 23. And he said it to all. Following Jesus in this way is not a kind of optional extra in the Christian life that you can just kind of tack on if if you like. You cannot say anyone... Yes, I'll have Jesus as my Lord, my Saviour and my friend, but he's not going to be my Lord. You can't say to Jesus, I want you to love me and bless me and be present with me and forgive me and not yield to him as Lord. The Christian is the one who hands over the reins of their life to Christ as Lord. If you like, Jesus requires us to let go of the steering wheel of our life, to get into the passenger seat, let him drive the car. He requires us to get the check of our life, sign it and leave it blank for him to fill in what he would have us do. Now, does that all mean that we need to go and apply after this, talk to Tim and apply to be ministry interns, Sunday school teachers and the rest? Uh, Not necessarily, but quite possibly it does. It doesn't mean rethinking our priorities in life, our church attendance, our efforts to put to death sin. I'm pretty sure it does. It means living life Jesus' way, submitting to his rule, living for his glory, no matter what the cost may be to myself. Now, that is difficult, isn't it? That is challenging. And I feel the weight of Jesus' call myself. I wouldn't be surprised if there's uh, people here today thinking, well, that's not what I signed up for when I came to church 
this morning. This all sounds a bit radical, a bit extreme, fundamentalist. Well, we need to remember three things here. Firstly, it is our self-rule, our sin, that lies at the root of the problems with our world. It is our sin that causes the pain, that causes the suffering, that causes the conflict, that causes the difficulty. Living with Jesus as Lord is actually best for us and for our world. Secondly, we need to remember the Lord. Who is this Lord who claims our life? It is the Lord we've just seen who gave his life for us in loving sacrifice, following his rule, his loving rule, is always for our benefit. And thirdly, where Jesus goes next, following Jesus is really the only logical way to live. Verses uh, 24 to 27 are going to give us the reason why this radical extreme response is the only logical course of action. Notice the tight logic here. Verse 24 begins, for. Verse 25, for. Verse 26, for. We have three choices here. Save or lose, profit or loss, shame or glory. Three explanations to show why this must be what we do. And he begins, verse 24, with a choice of saving our life. Or losing it. Verse 24. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. It's a bit enigmatic, isn't it? But Jesus is saying here, basically, you've got a choice of two ways of living your life. You can save your life now, by which he means... Save yourself, rule. Continue to run your life your own way, doing your own thing without regard for his rule. And the result, in eternity, you will, you will lose your life. You will face Christ as your judge. Or we can lose our life, lose self-control, deny ourselves, take up our cross, follow Jesus. And the result, in eternity... We will save our life. We will face Christ, not as judge, but as our saviour. It's a simple choice, really, isn't it? Hold on to my life or give it up. But we can't do both. Well, if you're thinking to yourself, it's just too costly. It's too costly to follow Jesus. I just can't do it. I know who he is, but I can't do it. Jesus gives another reason, verse 25. Profit or loss. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Jesus is basically asking the question here, what is so important to you in your life? A relationship? A successful career? The the respect of your peers? the approval of your parents, the comfort of your lifestyle, the freedom of how you use your time? What is it that is so wonderful in your life that you would risk eternal judgment in hell 
just to keep it. A few years ago, you might remember that uh, Apple founder Steve Jobs passed away. He made it in life, didn't he? Rich, successful, famous, comfortable. He changed the world. But how did his life end? Well, the same as every one of us will in a little box, six foot by two. I went to a funeral just this week and was reminded of this. We're all going to die and face Jesus. On that day, it's not going to have any significance, is it? How much money, respect, success I have. You look at the coffin. You take none of it with you. It won't be worth anything. Verse 26, shame or glory. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Now, I'm pretty certain in a crowd that's this large that there will be people who know who Jesus is, who know he's the Christ, who know he's the King, but you're afraid to let him be the Lord of your life. You're afraid of the shame, the rejection you might feel if you tell your family members, if you tell your parents that you're not going to follow the family religion. You're afraid that if you start following Jesus as Lord, your life is going to have to change. You're scared to accept this shame and suffering that will inevitably come if you follow a crucified king. But do you see what Jesus is saying here? If you are not willing to accept Jesus now, why should he be willing to accept you later? into heaven. If there's a not welcome sign on your heart now, why should he not hang a not welcome sign on the gates of heaven? If we reject Jesus now, if we're ashamed of him, then when Christ comes again in glory, exalted as this glorious, majestic, universal, eternal king, He will be ashamed of us. And without him, there is no escape, is there, from the eternity of God's judgment. Yes, it is costly, if you like, to follow Jesus as Lord, but how great is the cost of rejecting him? The only logical response to Jesus is to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. Do that, you will save your life. You will save your soul. And our passage finishes with this marvelous promise in verse 27. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. I think we'll see a glimpse of this next week. Uh, in the transfiguration, but Jesus is reminding his disciples ultimately that on the other side of his suffering, rejection, and death, 
is his resurrection and ascension to glory. The disciples will see the resurrected Lord enter into his kingdom. And the same promise, I take it, stands for us, that we can have absolute confidence that if we submit to Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, we will enter his kingdom now. And one day, we will, when he returns, we will share with him in the glory of the kingdom of heaven. It's a wonderful promise. Follow Jesus, it will be worth it in the end. Well, let's uh, come back then to our million-dollar question. Who do you say Jesus is? Moral teacher, myth, madman. Have you recognized Jesus of Nazareth is Lord of the universe? Have you signed the blank check of your life and given it to him? Have you denied yourself, taken up your cross daily, and followed him. Well, what will that look like from day to day? I think it will mean doing whatever Jesus wants me to do. Going wherever Jesus wants me to go. Serving however Jesus wants me to serve. Not, it's too difficult for me. I feel nervous. Giving up whatever Jesus wants me to give up. Putting to death whatever sin Jesus wants me to put to death. Being not ashamed to confess him to others, whatever the cost may be. But if you are here today, and you know that this is not you, you have not yet denied yourself, taken up your cross and followed Jesus, can I plead with you today? Can I urge you today? Don't go home that way. Turn to Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. What is it that is holding you back? What is your fear? Whatever it is, please know, nothing in this world is worth Losing your soul. Get a Bible. Read it. Find out who is this man. Talk to a Christian friend. Ask them whatever question you need to ask them. Make this decision. It is the most important question you have to answer in life. Turn to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Your eternity really does depend on it. It is all or nothing. Well, as we uh, finish this morning, I want to give you an opportunity. If you do want to turn to Jesus this morning, I'm going to lead us uh, in a prayer uh, to express that sentiment that you want to follow Jesus as Lord uh, and Saviour. And if you want to start following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour this morning, I'd be absolutely delighted and I'd encourage you to pray the prayer. Uh, on the screen. If, if you're not a Christian, don't worry. I mean, if you're a Christian already, don't worry about the prayer. This is for
those who want to turn to Christ uh, for the first time. Uh, the words are up, up there on the screen. I'll read it and then you can decide if you want to make this your prayer. And then we'll close in prayer all together after that. Dear Father God, thank you that you've made me and loved me. I admit that I've rebelled against you and deserve your punishment. Thank you for sending Jesus to save me. Thank you that he died to take my punishment, that he rose again as the Lord of this world. Please forgive me and help me to live with Jesus as my Lord from now on. Well, if you want to make that prayer yours, let's, uh, let's everyone bow our heads together and those who want to pray, please pray in the quietness of your heart with me. Dear Father God, thank you that you made me and love me. I admit that I've rebelled against you and deserve your punishment. Thank you for sending Jesus to save me. Thank you that he died to take my punishment and that he rose again as the Lord of this world. Please forgive me and help me to live with Jesus as my Lord from now on. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have prayed that prayer, God has heard and answered it, and it's delightful, and I hope you will come and talk to someone, talk to me afterwards, or your friend, or, or Tim. Uh, do tell us so that we can help you in following Jesus as Lord in, in your life. And uh, as we finish, let's uh, pray as a, as a whole church in, in response to what we've seen this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reminder this morning that Jesus is indeed your absolute, universal and eternal King. And we thank you that he came to serve and to save by laying down his life on the cross. Heavenly Father, would you help each one of us to be taking up our cross, denying ourselves, and following him. We pray that you would help us to truly live with him as the Lord of our life. And whatever things in this world we attempted to value or hold on to um, more than following in his ways, please help us to see that a place in your kingdom is far more valuable than any of those things. And so help us gladly and joyfully be serving our Lord Jesus Christ uh, every, every day. And we pray this for the glory of his name. Amen.